0: This past week, Susan and I watched the movie, The King's Speech. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this movie, but The King's Speech tells a story of Prince Albert, who was the Duke of York and the son of King George V of Great Britain. Uh, And in the year 1925, King George actually ruled over a quarter of the world's population. It's kind of hard to fathom how large the British Empire was uh, even then. And he asks his son, Albert, to give the closing speech at the Empire Exhibition. Uh, He's to give this speech at this large outdoor stadium. And as he goes to give the speech, he can't do it. Because he has this lifelong problem with stammering. And he begins and he stops. And he begins, he gets a word or two out, and he stops. And everybody, he's hurting Everybody there is hurting far and they all just want it to end. Uh, But he's stuck. He's royalty. You can't really get out of that job. Well, you can, but it's hard. Uh, And so he's he's in this job as royalty and and he's living in this age where you're beginning to have to give speeches. If he'd been born a hundred years before, he wouldn't have to do it. But now the age of the radio has arrived and so he's got to learn how to give speeches. And so he goes... To specialist after specialist in this desperate attempt to learn how to give a speech without stammering. You might say that the one thing he desperately wanted, more than anything else, was to be able to speak. In Mark chapter 2, we're introduced to someone who desperately wanted something. We're introduced to a man who desperately wanted to walk. And what we're going to see as we read this is that he actually gets what he wants but he gets more than that he gets much more than that and what we're going to see is that this extra that he gets is what he really needed all along so look with me mark chapter 2 and i'm going to read verses 1 through 12 and when he returned to capernaum after some days it was reported that he was at home But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. We pray for us. Father, thank you that you've given us your word, and, and as we've talked about already this morning, uh, this is a useless exercise unless you also accompany uh, the preaching of your word with the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Spirit, would you come? And would you work through me? And would you work in us so that we hear uh, and we believe? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got two questions I want to ask to you as we, to kind of get us uh, rolling as we look at this text. Uh, the first question is this what do you want out of life what do you want out of life the second question is what do you want out of religion what do you want out of life and what do you want out of religion we'll take the first one, what do I want out of life now we probably all say some variant of uh, I want to be happy I want to be happy, but how we define what brings us happiness that might vary a little bit from person to person um, but we might all say things like I want a relationship. Or I want the relationship that I'm in right now to be better. I want good things for my children. I want security. I want fulfillment. I want to be liked. I want to be respected. I want to be welcomed and understood. I want to fit in. I want to be needed. I want laughter. I want joy. I want less pain in my life. I want money. Cash money. Uh, I want the house to be clean I want to win I want to live a reasonably comfortable life as pain free as possible and die at a ripe old age second question uh, what do you want out of your religion now another way to ask this question might be why do you go to church but what do you want out of your religion Uh, networking friends encouragement uh, an emotional experience Good teaching, good music, uh, respectability, morality, safety, security, reassurance that everything's going to be okay, doctrine, truth, a few stories to cheer me up, Uh, something that's going to make sure my kids turn out all right. What do you want out of religion? In his book, Christless Christianity, Michael Horton says this, What would things look like if Satan really took control of a city? Over a half century ago, Presbyterian minister Donald Gray Barnhouse offered his own scenario in his weekly sermon that was also broadcast nationwide on CBS radio. Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took over Philadelphia, and this is the city where he lived, if Satan took over Philadelphia, what do you think that would look like? All right, you got your picture in mind? Here's what he said. All of the bars would be closed, pornography banished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes sir and no ma'am, and the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. Uh, commenting on this, one writer wrote, this is scary mainly because what Barnhouse describes it's what most of us want for our children. Jesus or no Jesus, we just want them to obey, to be polite, not curse or look at things they shouldn't, get good jobs, marry a nice person, and not get caught up in all that really bad stuff. That that's what we want out of religion. Jesus or not, that's what we want. Now, if we were honest, we'd all admit, man, I got a long laundry list of, of things that we that I want out of life, of things that I want out of religion, and many of those things would be perfectly legitimate. Right, most of those things even would be perfectly legitimate. Uh, some of them would rise, though, to these godlike proportions in our lives. I will not be happy. I will not be satisfied. I will not be content unless I get this thing off my list. And some of us. Uh, We've got this list, and maybe we can check off a lot of those things on the list. And we might even feel like, I've arrived, I've I've gotten what I wanted to get out of life. And yet, and yet, something's just not right. Uh, In the book King's Cross, the story is told of Cynthia Heimel. She was a writer uh, who knew a lot of actors and actresses who were struggling to get their big break. Uh, And as they were trying to work their way into the industry, they were doing whatever jobs they could find, washing dishes, you, you name it, waiting for their break. And then some of them got it. They got the break and they made it big. They got what they wanted. And yet when they got it, they were more happy. They were less happy than they had been before. And this is what she writes. I pity celebrities. No, no I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed. The morning after, each of them became famous. They wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness had happened. It had finally happened. And nothing changed. They were still them. They were still the same person they were before. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. In our story in the Gospel of Mark, the paralytic doesn't want anything bad. Uh, His friends don't want anything bad. They all desperately want him to be well. Uh, So desperate, in fact, that they're willing to to cut a hole in the roof of a house in order to lower their friend down so that he can meet Jesus. Now imagine that, uh, going to the doctor and somebody... Cuts a hole through the roof. I got to get my flu shot now. I'm not waiting in line. Uh, and, and Jesus, Jesus isn't upset. He doesn't say, "Go wait in line like everybody else." And the lesson I take from this is it's okay to break in line. But no, I'm, I'm kidding. He doesn't say, "Go wait in line like everybody else." He sees their faith, and he responds to their faith. They believed in Jesus. They trusted in Jesus. Jesus, you can do something about this. And he did. He did something about it. But he did something else first. And the something else that he did was exactly what was needed. See, we've got what we want. And then we've got what we really need. All of us have our list, right? We've all got our list of these things that we want out of life. And one of the things that's going on with that list is that in making that list, we're looking for a Savior. Now, you may not believe that. Um, you may not use that word exactly, but you are. That's what you're doing. Uh, and that's what I do as well. We all are. Because we're living in this broken world and we're looking for someone Or something to give us meaning and happiness, significance, fulfillment in life. Or at least something to give us a few moments of pleasure. Or something to take the edge off. Or something to dull the pain for a little while. Uh, Prince Albert knew that he was going to have to learn how to give a speech without stammering. And so he went to specialist after specialist after specialist. Uh, One of them told him, one doctor told him, well, you need to smoke cigarettes because it's gonna relax you and make you able to give this speech better. What I found out outside of the movie is that that he eventually died from lung cancer. Uh, One told him to put marbles in his mouth and he had to put mar- fill his mouth with marbles and then try to read a book while he's got all these marbles in his mouth. And he almost chokes while he's doing that. It's potential saviors for him. They're going to save the day, but one of them wound up killing him. One of them almost choked him, and that's what our saviors are like as well. Some of them kill us. Some of them cause us to choke, and they want to spit them out of our mouths. Where else do we go? We say to ourselves, where else can I go? See, what Prince Albert needed in the movie was somebody, a speech therapist who actually knew what they were doing. Someone who had worked with other stammerers. Someone who understood fear and failure in his own life and in the lives of other people as well. Somebody who could train him to speak. But more than that, He needed somebody who would love him. Who would give him tough love even at times. Somebody who would stand by him. Somebody who was going to be his friend. Somebody who in many ways would be the father that he never really had. Somebody who was willing to go deeper. Not just to train him to do a few voice exercises. But to go deeper and get at the root of his fears and his failures. At the root of his stammering. Well, the young man is brought to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now you gotta wonder what's going through the young man's mind at this point. Um, you know, imagine going to your doctor and he says, Your sins are forgiven. You can go home now. Wait, wait a minute. That's that's not what I'm here for. And then take a moment and think about. Just the audacity of the claim that Jesus is making. Had had the had the young man sinned against Jesus? You know, Jesus saying, "I forgive you for cutting a hole in my roof." No, that's not that's not what he's doing here. I mean, think about this. Um, If Ryan sinned against Keith in some way while they were rehearsing, they got in a big fight, uh, and and I came over to Ryan and I said, "Your sins are forgiven." Y'all would probably say, Justin, you're taking too many Pope pills. I mean, what, what do you, what do you, you can't do that. Only the person who's been sinned against can actually offer forgiveness to the one who has sinned against them. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's telling the young man, look, there's a, there's a deeper problem here that has to be addressed. There's a deeper problem than your paralysis. You've actually got a sin problem. You've sinned against me, but I forgive you. I forgive you. And the scribes who are there, they get the audacity of this claim. They all freak out at this moment. Wait, 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 wait. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? Only God can do something like that. Only God can really forgive sins. That's blasphemy. And then Jesus says something very interesting in verse 8 and following. He says to them, well, which is easier then? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your mat and walk? Now, on the one hand, Jesus may be saying, you think you guys think it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. Anybody can say that. Now, why don't you heal him and show you really have some authority? and Jesus says okay get up walk see you happy now but if you think about it a minute Jesus may have been doing something more he may have been provoking them and us to think for a minute which one is really easier which one is easier healing him or actually bringing about forgiveness healing him are bringing about forgiveness see bringing about forgiveness is actually going to be the much harder thing to do because in order for this man's sin to really be forgiven and for these not just to be words on Jesus' part Jesus is going to have to die because there's always a cost involved in forgiveness there's always a debt that has to be paid someone has to pay the young man's debt Someone has to pay your debt. Someone has to pay my debt. And Jesus even now is pointing us to him doing the harder thing. Him going to the cross to pay that debt. Now, here's what I want you to see with this. Was was the man's paralysis a big deal? Yeah, absolutely it was a big deal. Um, Jesus is not making light of it in any way. But he's saying, before I get to that, there's a deeper problem here there's a deeper problem in your life you need forgiveness you have a broken relationship with your father Uh, you know you've been trying to fix yourself up you've been trying to make yourself presentable you've been trying to accomplish something in your career so that everybody will love you you've been looking at all these things on your list and saying when I have that that's when I'm going to be happy and Jesus is saying you can check all that off but you've got a bigger problem underneath that that's got to be dealt with over the last few months um, we've had numerous uh, leaks in our basement I'm thinking about opening a water park maybe but but, you know we, we find these leaks and we've got a couple options we can just paint over them and it would look okay and we would be happy and it would be cheap Um, but what's going to happen, well that water is going to come right back and what we really need to do is go underneath or overneath as the case may be uh, and get to the root of the problem to actually find the pipe that's leaking and fix that not just coat over it with something and Jesus is making a very bold claim here he's saying your real problem is deeper your real problem is deeper The real problem is that your sin has brought you separation from God. But what do we do instead of wanting to address that real underlying problem? uh, When things don't go well, when the saviors we've been trusting in uh, don't come through for us and we're disappointed, what do we do? Uh, What do we do when we get everything that we had wanted and we're still us we still feel the same nothing's changed what do we do well sometimes we blame the thing I'll get a new job I'll get a new house I'll get a new car I'll get a new spouse and then things will be better But then even if we get all that we're still us we're still us sometimes then we beat ourselves up don't we we say if only I had tried harder if only I'd gone to school for a couple more years. If only I had, if I, well, I'll do it right. This time I'll get it right. And then some of us just say, we sort of give up and say, that's just the way it is. The world's just stacked against me. And there's nothing I can do about it. And Jesus is saying, look underneath all that. There's a deeper problem. There's a deeper problem that needs to be addressed. And I can address it in your heart and in your life. Uh, some of you may be saying, you know what, I, uh, many of you may be saying, even I, I, I believe all of that. I'm, I'm resting in Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus. And yet what you find yourself doing is you have this problem in your life and you're standing, holding it before Jesus and you're saying, fix it. Fix it. F- fix it, Jesus. You've got to fix this. Or my life isn't worth living now what have you done at that point well you've made something other than Jesus your savior you've made the fix your savior when that comes through everything's going to be okay Jesus I've got to have this you're just a means to the end now you might be truly a believer, truly converted. You might intellectually believe the gospel. You could answer everything about Christianity in the right way. But functionally in that moment, you're looking to a different Savior. You're looking to a different trust. If I can only get up and walk, if I can only... You fill in the blank. If I can only get up and walk, if I can only learn how to speak... Everything's going to be okay. And Jesus says, no, everything's going to be okay when you have me. Uh, Part of what growing as a Christian is about is about Jesus showing us where our functional trust lies, where we're really putting our hope. But that's hard for us to see sometimes, and God has this way of using difficulties and suffering in our life to expose who we really are and what we really trust in to expose where we're really building our identity, to show us where we're really trying to find life. Uh, In the book Voyage of the Dawn Treader in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a boy named Eustace. And if you don't uh, remember this story, Eustace is the selfish pain in the rear end kid who nobody likes. He's always aggravating everybody. He's always doing the wrong thing. He annoys everyone. And, And at one point in the book, he stumbles on this big pile of treasure and there's nobody there and he thinks finally I get mine I get to be rich and I'm going to pay everybody back for everything they've done to me and as he's laying there he doesn't realize that this is a dragon's treasure and there's a dragon's curse on the treasure and he's, as he goes to sleep with these dragonish Greek thoughts on his heart he wakes up the next morning And he's turned into a dragon. And he hates it. It's not all it's cracked up to be, being a dragon. Uh, He doesn't want to be a dragon. He wants to be a boy again. Well, about this time, Aslan, who's the lion and the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia, shows up and he tells Eustace, you need to undress and get in this water. So Eustace begins to claw the dragon skin off and he gets a layer off after a while and then he gets one more layer off but he's really not getting anywhere and finally Aslan says you're going to have to let me go deeper and this is what Eustace says I was afraid of the claws like a line coming at you I was afraid of his claws I can tell you but I was pretty nearly desperate now the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart and when he began pulling the skin off it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt well he peeled the beastly stuff right off just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times only they hadn't hurt and there it was lying on the grass only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been then he caught hold of me and threw me into the water it smarted like anything but only for a moment then I saw I turned into a boy again Commenting on this passage in King's Cross, Tim Keller says, For many of us, it's hard to read that passage without weeping. Because, like the paralyzed man and like Eustace, we thought if we just got a little bit of help, we could save ourselves. But we learned that Jesus wanted to take us deeper. We had to let him use his claws and go all the way to our heart and reconfigure the main thing that our heart wanted. You see, it wasn't our deepest wish itself that was the problem. Just as it wasn't wrong for the paralytic to want to walk, or for the celebrity to want to succeed, or for Eustace to want to be loved and respected. The fact that we thought getting our deepest wish would heal us, would save us, that was a problem. We had to let Jesus be our Savior. See, we've got this long list of what we want, what we've got to have, But the text reveals what we really need is a Savior. What we really need is forgiveness. What we really need is a restored relationship with the Father. What we really need is Jesus. And Jesus brings us into that relationship with the Father, but then he goes deeper. Because think about it, why does he have to do that? He has to do that because you and I have been spending our entire lives... Building our identity on the wrong things. Think of the way you spent your life and and the way we build up who we are and we build that foundation, build that on the wrong foundation. We spend our lives pursuing the wrong gods and and the wrong uh, objects of worship. And the point of the gospel is not to just give you a boarding pass on this plane to heaven But the point of the gospel is to actually rebuild what's broken in you. It's actually to restore and rebuild your relationship with the Father. Uh, To open your eyes and your heart so that more and more you can say in the word of that catechism question that we looked at several weeks ago, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And you can hear that and say that and maybe for the first time in your life say, you know what, that really makes sense. That really is why I exist. In watching King's speech, the King's speech, one of the things that was cool to watch was to see how, as he submitted himself to the authority of his speech therapist, as he developed this relationship with him, as he let him get deeper into his heart and in his, into his life, he was freed up. And prepared to actually be the king, which he winds up being. He winds up being prepared to do the job he was being called to do. If you're in process this morning, and we're all in process. If you're in process this morning, if you can't figure out what Jesus is doing in your life right now, maybe what he's doing is he's going deeper. Maybe he's rewiring your heart so that you can finally be the person he's made you to be. Who does Jesus claim to be? He claims to be the one who can see your deepest need. And he claims to be the only one who can do anything about it. Let's pray. Father, there are so many things we want, and yet you know what we need. You know we need forgiveness. We know that we need a restored relationship with you. And King Jesus, you have come to bring that about. So Father, I pray that you would turn us away from all the things we want and turn us to the one that we need. we pray it in his name. Amen.